0: Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. I am so excited to be welcoming Elena Bezzard to the podcast. Elena is a Chicago Broad chef and TV host who currently resides in Brooklyn, New York. You might recognize her from the third hour on the Today Show or from the Food Network. Elena is also the founder and culinary director of The Lineup, a series highlighting the top cooks working at the best restaurants in America. For today's conversation, I will be joined by my guest co host, Seth Kaplan. So, Elena, talk to us about growing up. How did you get your start? I was born into a large family of five,
1: and then I became very passionate about all things performance. Um, always performed, did little shows for my family as the middle child, constantly looked for attention. And as I grew older, um, the one thing that remained consistent was that I loved to eat. So I went to school to study theater and film and found myself pivoting and becoming massively passionate about food. And I decided, you know what, what if I took my background doing on-camera reporting and my theater education and my passion for food and turned it into a career. And I moved to New York, um, worked in food media, decided to leave it all, go to culinary school, cooked at um, a restaurant called Lilia under a Michelin rated chef, Missy Robbins, who got her start at Spiazzi in Chicago and um left to build my own brand and now I am on the Food Network and Cooking Channel and it is truly a dream come true and every day I pinch myself and say how did I get this lucky because I get to make delicious food for people and I'm filmed doing it what's not to love (laughs) You really never know when you're going to discover your true passion. And for me, I'm a woman that has many passions, but I didn't really realize that food was my calling until I got my own kitchen in college and started getting creative and, and making meals and seeing the reactions that my friends would have and, and inviting my parents when they would visit and making a dish for them and everyone being so excited. It, it kind of blended all of the different components of performance and art. You're creative, you're, cra- you're crafting a plate you're engaging your senses in every single way. Um, I have a little sister with special needs and she's on the autism spectrum. And I've always been very aware of sensory experiences and how they impact you and affect you. And one of the things that I love about theater is it makes you feel something. You, you hear something, you see something, you sometimes... You know, smell something when you're eating, or hopefully good sense. Um, But with food, it was that to the nth degree. It's taste, it's touch, it's sight, it's smell, it's sound, it's all of it. And um, that was so intoxicating to me. And the biggest thing that always frustrated me with theater was I didn't want to wait around. I knew I could act. And I didn't want to wait around for someone to pick me. And with food, I knew that I was more in control of my destiny and I could call the shots. And I had the experience of knowing how to be in front of the camera, knowing how to write a story, knowing how to um, film something. Eventually I taught myself how to edit video. That was after, that was towards the end of college and, and a few years after, but all of that allowed me to really take control of what I ultimately wanted to do. And I guess that's how I arrived at where I am today. That really is the, the beginning of it.
0: Elena, your goal was to be the next Rachel Ray for millennials. And you ended up going to culinary school. But you had an advisor there who challenged you to take a different path. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Totally. I would love to. Um, and great question, uh, for all you listeners out there, just want to say when you're listening to podcasts, pay attention to the questions that they ask, because that just shows when people really do their research. And I deeply respect that. So just want to say that, um, I went to culinary school because, I was working in a food media company and I really, I was creating tons of different content. It was the beginning of the food video movement. And I'd have these ideas for recipes that I knew would go viral if I, if I just knew how to make them. And the problem that I kept running into was I didn't understand why things happened in recipes. I knew how to follow a recipe, but I couldn't crack the code. And it was deeply frustrating because I felt like it was holding me back in so many ways. So ultimately I decided that in order to really learn and become an expert, I needed to go to culinary school. And I chose to leave the job and go all in on culinary school. And I'm very fortunate that I had supportive parents to help me through that time. Um, But while you're in culinary school, one of the things that you have to do for your degree is you need to get, have an externship. So that can, is essentially the same as an internship, some experience in the food world outside of culinary school. And I met with my advisor and I walked into her office. Gina is her name. She's amazing. Gina Novak, love her. Um, and I sat down with her and she was like, what do you want to do? What's your dream? And I was very, I was like, my dream is to be the next Rachel Ray for millennials and for the the new generation. I want people to have confidence in the kitchen and I want to be the, the person that, helps them pick up a pan rather than pick up their phone to order food and she was like okay okay great great and I was like she goes so where do you want to work I go well probably Food Network or Bon Appetit or one of those places it would be amazing to work in the test kitchen there and she looks at me and she goes you know what Elena this is going to sound cheesy but I'm going to quote our first graduate Bobby Flay He said, if you want anyone to take you seriously in this industry, you need to work in a restaurant. So I'm gonna make you work in a restaurant. And I looked at her and my whole world turned upside down. And I thought, you know what, what the heck, fine. Yes, let's do this. I'll work in a restaurant. When in any time in my life, am I going to have this opportunity? and be in an environment like this. And Gina Novak changed my life. And she, in that moment, and and honestly, it makes me emotional, I'm like, oh, I wanna cry. But that woman, her guidance really forced me to think outside the box and do something that wasn't expected. And because of that, I was introduced to a whole new world that I never ever would have known. And I started working in this restaurant called Lilia under chef Missy Robbins and started out just doing whatever they needed me to do, chopping vegetables, cleaning lettuce, cutting garlic, Squeezing roasted garlic out of their husks and putting them through a tammy, which is a very fine mesh instrument to make sure there aren't any specific extra fibers that go into the then-made garlic butter. Um, Doing things that were so task-driven in an environment where I was surrounded by so many individuals from so many different socioeconomic classes. Restaurants are a melting pot of so much diversity and... It was the coolest, most exhilarating time of my life. And I also would like to say that everyone that thinks it's all rock and roll and glamorous and and cool, and uh, that's a great descriptor. Um, it's not. It is tough. It broke me down and I was tired and mentally messed up and not treating myself well it is a tough industry and there's so, a so reason can... yeah, yeah go ahead sorry. no I'm, so I'm just you, you had... after
2: it so sorry. You had... no it's great it's absolutely great uh, so you had these big dreams of being on tv being on food network uh being the Rachel Ray of millennials and you're doing essentially I'm use a, a bad term You're you're doing a little bit of grunt work yeah so when when you wake up in the morning and you know this is going to be your day. It's not, you're not going to be on TV. You know, nobody's going to see what you're doing. You're behind the scenes. How do you motivate yourself to say, this is how, this is what I need to do to get to that next step.
1: Yeah. I think that the main thing that a lot of people don't realize. And one of my frustrations with social media and the world that we live in is it all looks so glamorous and it looks so, polished and shiny and cool and inspiring and fun and oh I wish I was doing what that person was doing but what matters most is that if you choose to go into a field you need to be one of the best and you need to and it doesn't you're not going to be one of the best right away absolutely not I'm still learning I plan on continuing to learn but I want to shake a lot of people that I see, and I'm one of them. If I look back at the old me, I thought, oh, I'll work in the test kitchen and I'll make all my dreams come true. And it's true. That does happen for some people. There are some people that are now on camera at Food Network that started out as their externship in the test kitchen. It happens differently for everyone, but in those moments when I was in the restaurant, um, and to be honest, I think part of the reason why I loved it so much was because like my theater background, every night of service is a performance. Um, And there are so many different pieces and things that have to be orchestrated in order for it to run smoothly. And every single part of the production, there are no small parts everyone is very valued and important. And if one person isn't there, sh- stuff can go crazy. Um, but, and this is a long-winded answer of saying, I knew ultimately that if I wanted, like what Gina said, for people to take me seriously, I needed to do the work and I needed to put the time in to get to that place because it is competitive. It's hard. It's intense. You need to do a lot to stand out and listen, I'm still working at it, still trying every day to stand out. There are a lot of people that have 10 X, the amount of followers that I have on Instagram. Um, but well, there are also a lot of people that don't know their way around the kitchen and don't know restaurant culture and don't know, how to prepare things on the fly and all of the key ingredients, if you will, to really consider yourself an expert in the industry.
0: So what was it like to be immersed in the restaurant culture? Um, You mentioned briefly the socioeconomic differences, but you saw that firsthand you worked alongside people who were working two or three jobs to keep a roof over their head. And um, can you describe what that environment and culture was like and what did it teach you? I think
1: I really like grew up and became a, a, an active participant in (laughs) in my role in society and simultaneously the, um, experiences of everyone else when I worked in the restaurant industry. Um, and to be honest with you, like I, I now to this day at my 27 year old self, I say to my parents, (laughs) I have two values in life. One is that all of my children are going to work in the service industry. That is a requirement they don't have a choice, they will, because that is the only way that you can understand humankind, and what is actually important in life. It, it teaches you how to work with people. And it teaches you how to work with every, like, every single possible personality. And it forces you to figure out situations that where in a split second you need to make a choice, and you hope that that's the right one. And then also in a split second, I mean, there were many nights where you know the dishwasher wouldn't show up, and my sous chef would look at me and say, Elena, off your you're off your station today. You're going in the dish pit and get after it." And you can't say no. I don't want to be in the dish pit. No, you you don't have a choice because they're your boss, and you do what they say. And I, um, having worked in all the different facets of what makes a restaurant tick, it it just helped its perspective on people's life experiences. And that's that's why I loved it so much, and that's why I miss it. And I'm fortunate enough to be in a situation where, you know, I've been able to figure out a lifestyle for myself that really works for me. Um, But a lot of people don't have that same opportunity. And I'm definitely aware of that. Um, I'm acutely aware of that. So I really want to make sure that, um, that with the opportunities that I am given, that I always bring in every other perspective and keep in mind how, a lot of people don't, aren't able to take that next step.
2: So, so how did you take that next step?
1: Oh boy. (laughs) Um, I took that next step by basically when, while I was cooking at Lilia, um, they were trying to build up their social media following and, um, I was able to tell Missy that, oh, I do like food photography and like video production. And here's my Instagram. And a lot of people were like, who's this? Like, it- oh, you're the, you're the Instagram girl. That's what I, they would call me. Um, and I said to Missy, she was like, we're really trying to get more people to come into the cafe, which is attached to the restaurant. And I was like, I, I could help you with your social. Like, do you want help? And she was like, actually, you would, you would want to do that. I was like, heck, yes, I would. So I'd come in early a few times before work, I'd take photos, I'd like post on social, whatever. And through that, because in the restaurant industry, it's very, it's not like you're, you know, going into banking by any means. Um, So I needed to make some more money. And I started doing some freelance consulting for um, a couple other people I got connected to a few different people that were, you know, I started working with this woman who was building out like the, this new beverage bar coffee thing at American Eagle in Times Square. And I did help them throw their event and did all their photography and literally did that on in the mornings before work. Cause I'd have to be at work by 1 PM or 2 PM. And I would do it on my day off. And I eventually got to a place where I was really mentally struggling and physically struggling working in the restaurant. I was there for um, a little over a year and industry standard is you need to work in a restaurant like any job you have, you're supposed to work there for a year to be able to show respect to the job that's given to you. And um, I put in my time and I just took a look in the mirror and said, Elena, listen, as much as you love this, this industry is just not, you can't keep living like this. It's not going to work. So, and my dad always taught me as soon as you stop learning, it's time to leave. And I was not learning anything else anymore. And all of that together helped me realize you know what i i it's time for the next thing so i left and i started um doing going back into the production media world um specifically in food and i was a producer for the James Beard Foundation i did um a lot of like video content for them i produced a special on abc for them i produced um, couple like sponsored digital series for them and uh through that like got other gigs i still would go into lilia every once in a while i remain to this day close friends with the whole team and missy and sean the owner and everyone and there would be nights where missy would text me and she'd be like yo do you want to do an event with me and i'd say yes i do are you kidding that would be amazing cause she would need extra hands cause she wouldn't want her staff to leave, but she'd have to go to events. So I'd help her out with those kinds of things. I'd come in and do a pastry shift. If the pastry person needed a day off, like anytime they needed my help, it was fun. I was able to just pop in and, and help out. Um, and eventually after saying yes to 8 million different gigs, I food styled a cookbook. I, um, produced video content for Refinery29 I did all their food video content for like half of the year. Um, All that stuff. I started my own YouTube channel. I straight up threw every single thing at the wall and just waited to see what would stick. And it eventually got me to a point where um, I got a call one day from a producer at Amazon who saw my YouTube channel and wanted me to come in for a test and I went in and auditioned and booked that and started doing live programming for them sell it it's like imagine QVC for Amazon for young people and really learned how to do live content and then Food Network launched their live um their live programming And they tapped me for it because I had a friend from a gig in the past that knew I did live. And it all just, it all, all those balls turned into the job I ultimately wanted. And um, it was a lesson in just trying everything and saying yes to everything and not, don't say yes to something if it doesn't feel like it's going to ultimately help your goal. And saying no is actually really hard to do. And, and I respect people that say no to things, but when you're starting out, you got to say yes to a lot of things because you never know how that one gig and that one person that you met, you're, you never know how they're going to impact your life later on. So
0: that's great advice. What was it like growing your career? At the same time that social media was really taking off, to be able to get to where you are today, you had to have a very strong presence on social media. But how do you fight the fatigue that comes with it, as well as all the different opinions that are constantly, you know, coming at you?
1: Yes, social media fatigue. I have it every day. Um. It's weird because Instagram is essentially like a constant, I look at it as like a constant resume where you always need to share what you're doing in order for people to stay up to date with you. And to be honest, I really, part of the reason why I loved, why I love acting and why I love what I do is because it's a controlled space where I can express myself rather than a constant stream of every single day. And Um, it can be exhausting and I personally do it because I need to, in order to do what I love and to get my name out there. But let me tell you, it's not fun all the time at all. And I've experienced some intense stuff where, you know, I was consulting for this one company while I was at Lilia and, um, We This was right when like the whole uh, unicorn like rainbow trend was happening and this uh, drink place really needed a thing that was going to be Instagrammable for them to, you know, have people come and take pictures to post about it, you know, the whole vibe. And so I saw this unicorn trend happening and I was like, okay, great. Let's do like unicorn drinks. Why not? It's becoming a popular trend. So I, I helped them develop their menu and we can't, we decided we were going to do a unicorn latte. Fine. And we, um, launched the drink and, People were sharing and posting about it and it did really well and it was awesome. And I was like, this is great. Like I did my due diligence. I researched a lot of different trends and this was the one we ultimately decided on. We could have done cool matcha things. We could have done churros in drinks, the whole thing. We decided to go with the unicorn (laughs) and I go to work. Oh, excuse me. First what happens is I wake up the next morning after the event and my social media feed is flooded with trolls. And what I mean by that is there the per, the place that started the unicorn trend was a small co- coffee shop in my neighborhood that I lived in. I'll be fully transparent about it. Yes, I did get inspiration from them. And I'm more than happy to give them credit for it. Fine. Um, But all of the people and this shop, all the stuff they were using for the colors were like spirulina and all natural colorings. So a lot, a large group of individuals that were very into veganism and natural things and all sorts of stuff started writing comments all over my social media saying, "Elena, you stole this idea from this company, from this coffee small female-owned business. Um, how dare you? Like, who do you think you are?" And I'm like, "Oh, my gosh. Like, Starbucks has a unicorn latte. Like, why are they coming at me? Like, what's happening here?" And um I was just ignoring them because I didn't know what to do. But meanwhile, I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't mean to take anything from anyone. I was just doing what I was supposed to do, create something that's going to be trendy. Like, ah, oh. and it got to a point where I went to my sister and my now fiance. Uh, they were like, do not let this stress you out. Don't worry about it. Just go to work you won't be with your phone at work. It's okay. So I go to work. And um, Missy, my boss, in the middle of prepping for service, minding my own business, trying to like get ready. She comes up to me and she goes, Hey, Elena, do you know? uh," And she said some random account. And I'm like, No, like, who is that? She goes, well, they commented on the Lilia Instagram saying you stole something from them. And I was like, oh my gosh, these people found my place of work and commented on their account that I stole something. Now this is getting personal because they're integrating my actual work and life into this. And it turned out they ended up sending the brand a cease and desist. They also ended up sending Starbucks a cease and desist. Um, It was a whole thing. And it was a lesson for me to make sure that every time you do something, you give credit where credit is due. And you make sure that you are always living with integrity. Because in that moment, I was like, oh, we have to chase a trend. We have to chase likes. We have to blah, blah, And the truth is, I let my integrity got in the way of the situation and what I should have done is I should have said you know what this was inspired by this place um but simultaneously it was a very specific situation and it's not every day that a small business sends Starbucks to cease and desist so I um I think that it just speaks to the power of making sure that when you do something, you always feel good about it deep in your soul. And and if I was, ref- if I am reflecting on it now and when I reflected on it, then like, yeah, I shouldn't, I should not have approached this choice in a way where I didn't really thoroughly do the work and, ask for permission I think that at the same time though what's hard about the food industry and what people used to say to me is like oh so if someone makes a lemon poppy seed muffin you're not allowed to make a lemon poppy seed muffin and that's also true everyone can make whatever the heck they want to make that is what food is the only way to make sure that you're not copying someone is by making, and this is crazy, because I've looked into it, three ingredients need to be changed. And the method needs to the wording of the method and the steps need to be different. Long story short, you're going to run into people that are always going to have their own perspective. And it's how you handle the situation that really shows your character. And all I, d- I didn't give into it. I listened, I took it in. I sat with it and I learned and apologized for offending anyone that I offended and let them know that it was the opposite of my intention. And you just have to move on from it.
2: I do want to give you um, credit for, for apologizing uh, for making a mistake I, 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 or, what was deemed to be uh, a mistake? Uh, I think in, in today's world, you know, we don't we don't own up to uh, mistakes that we've made, and I, I think it's it is a good lesson for people to hear. Hey, here's this amazing uh, chef who um, technically did not do anything wrong, uh, but um, hurt um, hurt some people in a way that uh, was not intended,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and for that, uh, you're, you're sorry. Um, and you learned uh, you learned a lesson on how potentially not to do that again. I, I am curious, because you are so active on social media, That can't be the only time you face trolls. How often do you check what people are writing to you versus you say, and you want to be interactive with, um, with your audience, uh, but you also don't want to let it get to you too much? Right. How, do you, how do you balance that?
1: Oh, it's hard. Um, I think the main thing that I try to do is I always try to pay attention to what my mission is. And my mission at the end of the day is to provide confidence to individuals just like me that maybe aren't necessarily that are going to reach for their phone to order takeout. I want to say to them, hey, stop, like, you are capable of making something amazing for yourself. And I'm going to help you do that. Um, so anytime that I am on social media, I always try to make sure that, you know, I give little like slice of life, personal moments occasionally, but a lot of the work that I do and the stuff that I post is all, a, it is all encapsulated by that mission. And that's how I ultimately choose what I'm going to share. I really try to. Separate myself from it and say, "Okay, I'm not going to spend all day on this because if I spend too much time on it, it's actually going to make me feel bad about myself. Because you sit there and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're looking at all these beautiful things and the lives of other people and they're how they have a larger following and how they're doing this cool thing, and I don't like feeling that way." If you spend all day looking at what other people are doing, how the heck are you going to be able to create anything for yourself? So I've tried to package it into work and then go about my day.
0: What is it like working in a field that has been dominated by men for so many years? Yes. um,
1: I read a quote recently that said, surround yourself with women who would mention your name in a room full of opportunities and that like i was taken aback when i read it because i was like this is exactly how i feel <laughs> like wow that is amazing and it's so true and it's really what i try to do um i try to surround myself with women like that i try to be that kind of woman i went i was cooking at Lilia when the me too movement began Um, when I walked in to the restaurant, people looked at me and said, you don't look like someone that belongs in a kitchen. That was said to me. (laughs) Um, I experienced things that a lot of women shouldn't experience. Um, and I think that in the grand scheme of things, like, one of the reasons why I love the industry so much is because I love the like grit associated with proving people wrong. And yes, I couldn't necessarily lift and walk the one hundred and fifty pound pot of hot fryer oil to the dump to have it be picked up. and I needed my male counterpart to help me. But by the time I, was towards the end of my um, work there, I was able to at least pick it off of the stove and put it down. Um, This industry is one that continues to be male-dominated. I think it's been absolutely incredible seeing what barriers have been broken through and how much more opportunity there has been for women. I was very, very determined to work for a female chef. And Missy, to her credit, always she gets frustrated when people are like, oh, you're a a one of 10. At the time when I worked with her, she was one of 10 Michelin rated women in America. And she's like, I don't like when people ask me the question about being a woman in this industry because I don't consider that to be a thing. I want to be treated as equally as everybody else. And, And I do really respect that thought process. But we do all have to admit that like, listen, um, there are difficulties for women, for sure. Physically, it's intense. Um, Working in a kitchen is a really physically demanding job. And I think that there is no greater glory than proving (laughs) people wrong and showing people that you really are capable of anything that you set your mind to. And my grandpa used to say to me, spread the lettuce, it'll come back in sandwiches. And of course, as a food quote, that deeply resonates with me. I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing to do is to lift people up. Because all you're going to gain from that is them remembering one day how you were kind to them. And I'm not saying be nice to people to hope to get something in return because you never know what's actually gonna happen. Um, But there is enough room for everyone and women in particular need, we were raised to be competitive and we were raised to, to be conniving and we need to break out of it. And we need to realize that we are stronger when we are working together and helping each other. And that's just what it is.
0: It's crazy to me to think that in today's day and age, and as far as, you know, we've gotten that females do not support other females in the workplace that they do not want to help foster um, a younger female colleague's career or help them by opening their networks. Um, I know I've personally experienced that and it just baffles me because I've always been the type of person that if there's a way I can help you or encourage you or open a door for you, I'm going to do that because that's the right thing to do. Um, we should all be helping each other instead of being pitted against each other. And um, there was an interview that actually Kris Jenner did, and she said that if you have a great idea and you're telling people and they keep saying no, you're asking the wrong people. And I think that's similar to what you said around you want to be in a room with females who mention other females' names.
1: It's true. And that is, I mean, my dad has always said to me and he's like a career changer when he was 40, he decided to leave his job in law and start his own company in the sports world. And um, he always has said to me, all you need, you can get a million no's, but all you need is one yes. And that one yes is what's going to open the door and what's going to allow you to do what you ultimately want to do. So fight like hell until you can get there because you will experience massive rejection. You, it's just how it goes. But the people that stand tall the longest, stand tall in that defeat, are the ones that are gonna be standing at the finish line because they fought through it. Um, and let's, while we're on that marathon, you know, hand a cup of water to the other women that are doing it too.
0: Elena, your sister Jacqueline, I understand has developmental differences. Can you talk to us about what the family dynamic was growing up and how that played a role in your interest with cooking, um, especially around like the sensory aspect of it? Yes. Um, So I'm one of five.
1: My dad has a daughter from a previous marriage. She's basically like a sister to me. And then like literally exactly a sister to me, just we don't have the same mom. Um, And then I have an older sister. Then it's me, my younger sister, Jacqueline, um, the one with special needs and um, my brother, Brennan. Uh, My brother went on to, you know, play basketball for Duke. And, um, my sister, my older sister was one of the organizers for the women's March. And my other older sister is an editor at Vogue. Um, so my family is not impressive at all. No, they, they clearly inspire me every day and and it's a cool group of individuals to be around. Um, and they're my best friends, but, I think that, um, you know, with my sister Jacqueline growing up, we, my family didn't, so what Jacqueline has isn't genetic. It's not um, something that we need to worry about. There was something that happened at birth or when she was little that like caused some type of mental delay for her. Um, and my family to this day doesn't know exactly what it is, but to kind of put it into concise words, she functions at like the, she's 25 and she functions at the level of a three-year-old. So she only knows, she can only say a couple words. She's mostly nonverbal. Um, her motor skills aren't amazing, but she can walk. She wasn't potty trained until she was in her teen years like loves Barney loves blues clues really has that young vivacious spirit and growing up we didn't realize that Jacqueline was different until like all of those markers of like a baby's supposed to lift their head at this time they're supposed to walk and say words at this time she was missing those times um and I think being around My family, I mean, luckily, like, if there's ever a situation to be born into, like, we're very fortunate that we can give Jacqueline everything that she needs and provide her with a fruitful life. But I think, you know, being able to look at little things like... Expressing when you have a headache and you don't feel well, being able to zip up your coat, being able to tie your shoes, Um, little things like that, that we take for granted every day. Imagine thinking things and being trapped in your body and not being able to express how you're feeling and not being able to take care of yourself, even if you want to. And Being around that every day really put into perspective what is important in life. And yes, there's a lot of pressure associated with wanting to achieve things because you, you know, see your sibling dealing with these issues and, and you want to make sure that because you're given this opportunity to, to do those little things that you're really not taking it for granted. Um, But I feel very proud of the fact that I grew up in a family where anytime we went out in public, people would look at us and be scared and, and freaked out by my sister's behavior. And I'm proud that if I'm ever in a situation where I see another individual with a disability, I will look at them with a smile and with understanding of their situation. Um, And yeah, the sensory thing too is funny because in college I actually, was one of the founding board members of a theater group called Seesaw that creates um, sensory- based theatrical experiences for people with disabilities and people on the autism spectrum. Um, and it was really cool to like learn the ins and outs of how all of how theater and sensory experiences can really relate to um, individuals with disabilities. So
2: it's incredible. Can we uh, pivot a little bit to, um, to a, a lighter topic, uh, if yeah, you will? Awesome. So I, um, I'm in that category of the person who doesn't know how to cook and who's scared to go into the kitchen and do something uh, not so bright. Good. Walk me, give me the pitch. How, how am I going to get comfortable?
1: Yes. What should I do? Let's talk about it. Okay. So honestly, whenever I think about cooking in general, um, what I like to say to people is that cooking is the most low stakes form of failure you can possibly experience. You have to fail in order to know what not to do. So I always tell people, if you're scared of failure, please cook because that the worst that's gonna happen is you're gonna burn something a little bit, or you're gonna you know undercook a thing and. And you're going to be okay. But the most important thing to do is engage in self-reflection. And the reason (laughs) why is because a lot of people make recipes and they follow the steps and they make something. And at the end of the day, they're like, I don't really have any clue what happened there. I'm so confused. And I like, my goal is to encourage people to be able to open up their refrigerator and make a meal for themselves without needing to look at a recipe. And The truth is, like in anything, you need to put care and time into it in order to be good at it. You wouldn't walk into a gym and get on a workout machine without, you know, reading the instructions and cooking's the same way. Um, I always like to tell people start out with something that doesn't need to feel too scary. Start out with vegetables. I have a whole series on my YouTube channel called Besser's Basics, where I teach people fundamental cooking skills to help unleash their inner badass in the kitchen. And what we go through in the whole show is we start and we talk about cooking methods. What's sauteing? What's roasting? What's steaming? What's blanching? What are all those different things? Great. Now you know those different things literally all you need is salt, pepper, maybe olive oil and apply it to anything, apply it to vegetables, apply it to protein. Um, You can do all of those methods with whatever piece of produce that you get um, for the most part. And um, I think that, The main thing you got to do, start with something easy. Watch my show, Besser's Basics. where Where do we
2: go to see Besser's Basics?
1: If you go to my YouTube channel, just Elena Besser, my name, it'll pop up. You'll see my series, Bester's Basics. We go through cooking methods. We go through the elements of making a great salad, how to properly wash lettuce, how to make a, an amazing salad dressing. People get so freaked out by salad dressing. And so it's not- I
2: want to stop you there because I saw your video about making a salad and you put the salad dressing in first and it blew my mind. I was like, wait, the salad dressing goes in first and and right away I knew, I, I knew nothing. Uh, at, at, I can't even make a salad. I get, I put in the salad dressing afterwards. Um, you It can.
1: was,
2: it was you incredible can. to me.
1: And listen, there are times where I'll put the salad dressing af- on afterwards too. It's okay. It happens. Um, I think our generation is so freaked out about failing and messing up because we are able to have hyper control of everything and, and show up, perfect picture of what things seem to be that we're we aren't as used to failing and the only way you're going to get better at something is if you fail and learn what not to do and um cooking is a great place to start and feed yourself nourish yourself you deserve it you everybody can cook it's true
2: i'll give it a try
1: please do and let like- me know hit me up yep. i i I want to encourage, I encourage people all the time. And it seems like I'm shouting into a void because I want people, I say to people, if you have cooking questions, slide into my DMs. This is what brings me joy. If someone's like, listen, Elena, I'm really trying to make a great roast chicken. What do I do? I will straight up get on the phone with you, do whatever you need to help you get through it. Um, because, you know, if you have the right tools and you have good ingredients, the world is your oyster.
0: (laughs) Elena, let's take a moment and have you talk to us about the lineup. I really want our listeners to learn about it and, um, be able to contribute or get involved.
1: Yes, of course. Um, so during my time working in kitchens, I, um, learned a massive amount from, the executive chef and um but I also learned a ton from all of my um from the sous chefs the line cooks everyone and um the industry is the kind of place where you you work really really hard and you slowly move up the ladder till you get to um the point where someone maybe you find an investor and you can launch your own concept um And I was frustrated by that system, um, because I felt as though, even though it is incredibly important to put in your time, um, it's also important to make hardworking, talented individuals feel noticed and show that you are grateful for the work and their contributions to what makes every restaurant great. if you don't have line cooks, you don't have a restaurant. And so, right before COVID, we I launched with my um, two creative partners. We launched this series called the Lineup, and it's a dinner series which highlights the top cooks working the line at the best restaurants in America, and lets them be executive chef for the night. So we work with them to create a whole entire restaurant concept. Um, from what the table setting is going to be to recipe development, to, or food ordering to menu execution, to bringing the guests in to literally every element. Um, and we had our first dinner in February. It was one of the best nights of my life. Um, and we had it with chef Matt Nigliori. Um, he has worked at many very impressive establishments and, um, I met him when he was working at Llama Inn, which is a restaurant down the street from Lilia. And um he did this awesome meal. We had it, I was in the kitchen with him. I helped him with all of the execution of the meal. And um through that, we really just our main mission is to highlight these individuals. Um, because it's a grind working, um in the culinary specifically restaurant industry and burnout and unhealthy habits are very common. They say, Oh, it's like the rock and roll vibe. Like the whole sex drugs, rock and roll. Like, yeah, that is the vibe in the food world. And a lot of people make bad choices and a lot of the reason why is because they feel exhausted and like no one gives a shit about them. And I give a shit about them and everyone really does. And we need to lift them up and, and give them a night to shine and, and give them a platform to show people what they can do. So of course with COVID, it has been absolutely devastating to the restaurant industry and it is such a heavy weight to think about it. But, um, and it like hurts my heart constantly thinking about all my friends that, you know, have restaurants that have closed or people that are out of work right now. So when COVID hit, we decided to help the industry in a different way. And we launched a digital cookbook called On the Line, where we asked 30 plus line cooks, beverage individuals, people in the industry at the best restaurants around America, and had them contribute recipes, 10 ingredients or less, um, that were inspired by where they've worked or what they were making during quarantine. And we got some amazing. And what was great too, is all of the individuals that participated, uh, also did their own food photography. So we taught all of them how to take a great picture on their phone. Um, and that is the photography that made up a lot of the book, which was so cool. Um, and of the proceeds go to the um, contributors. And then we picked three different restaurant relief programs um, to donate to. And, you know, we've sold over 600 copies. We're hoping to create a print version. Of course, there's a lot of overhead that goes along with that. Um, So we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. But our goal is just to continue to raise awareness for the absolute devastation that is going on and help provide support to all of these people. Um, you know, they used to spend their days making meals for us and now they're spending their days trying to figure out where their next meal is going to come from. And that, that's just the harsh reality of it all. And, you know, every dollar really does count. So it's a fun project and I'm really hoping that I look forward to when we can start doing dinners again once we're out of this hell hole
0: <laughs> absolutely so we're really excited because we are actually going to be doing like various contests uh for our listeners and they will uh the winners will be able to win like a free digital copy of yeah. the cookbook and then when you oh, guys do have a in print book we will be happy to help support buy some copies and give them away um and post about ways that our listeners can definitely help support. Cause like you said, you know, they used to make meals for us and now they're really wondering where their next meal is. So we want to help in any way that we can.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot.
2: Great. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been incredible. Uh, we've we've very much enjoyed getting to know you and hearing your story. Uh, we just close with the same three questions. I'll say the first one and Mallory will We'll do the last two. Uh, so if you had to pick a quote or a mantra that you uh, live your life by, or, or that you feel defines you, uh, what would that be?
1: Um, oh man, there are two. First is obviously spread the lettuce, it'll come back in sandwiches. My grandpa used to say that, and I think it, it is the way we all should live Um, you have to give you get what you give as the new radicals once said the other one is of course um, surround yourself uh, with women who would mention your name in a room full of opportunities or just individuals in general Um, I think that you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with and it's really important to make sure that you surround yourself with uplifting individuals that are doing cool things that, and it doesn't, cool can be defined as literally anything, um, but just as long as they are good people and supportive people, that's key. And then the other one, this is ridiculous, but I used to have a little printout on cardstock on like shiny silver paper. And on it, it said, if it is to be, it is up to me. And that is a motto that I still live by. If you want your dreams to happen, you cannot depend on anyone to make them happen for you.
0: The second question we ask every guest is, if you could relive any one day, what day would that be? Oh
1: my God. Um, Wow. That is a tough question. I would love to relive the lineup dinner i think that um i miss the industry so much and the energy around the industry is just truly something that is incomparable um and being able to be with people that i loved still continue to love (laughs) um making them an amazing meal where we created something out of nothing was and gave a really talented guy an opportunity to flex. And might I add, he now has left the restaurant industry and is because he has built since that dinner, a whole, brand and career and his social media has taken off and he does virtual cooking classes for celebrities and he's now building his own brand and look at what it and look at what can happen if you give someone the chance to showcase who they are uh so that night was just so fun and I would love to go back there and hug my friends and breathe on each other and take a bite off of someone else's plate and try someone's cocktail. And, you know, yeah, I would, that right now I would.
0: The final question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? Million Dollar Bill by Whitney Houston.
1: And it just pumped me up. It's such a great track. It's, um, If he makes you feel like a million dollar bill, say, oh, oh, say, oh, makes you go left, right, up, down. I have a whole dance, the whole thing. Um, I just think Whitney Houston is such an iconic individual and she meant so much to so many people that felt like outsiders and arguably she was never really able to live her truth. And, um, I think, you know, all we can do is live our truth in in spirit of Whitney and what she wasn't able to do because she gave us so much. Um, and I'm not like a massive Whitney Houston fan by any means, but I love this song. And before I go live on food network, I'll turn it. It'll be my pump up track. It just makes me feel so free. And I think every song Every favorite song should make you feel free.
0: Great. I'm going to go ahead and add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify. So listeners can go ahead and check it out and hear your theme song featured on that playlist.
1: Of course. I'm excited. you got to let me know when that is available because I want to hear what everyone else said. I want to listen to the sweet sounds of those favorite tracks.
0: Alina, thank you again so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation and we cannot wait to see where you go next. Thanks.